And, uh, you know, as I was doing that in preparation for this series, um, I read where 18% of all American adults have been diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder. Uh, This number is likely, you know, 18% doesn't sound like a lot, but this number is likely much higher because if you battle anxiety, depression, PTSD, or or some other type of anxiety disorder, isn't it true that many never talk about it? They never open up about it. In fact, when you battle these things, uh, you're often very uh, ashamed, especially in the church, uh, especially as a Christian. Um... You're ashamed to talk about these things. 32% of teenagers have been diagnosed with some type of anxiety disorder. Every year, uh, over $145 billion is spent on anxiety meds. You know, it's safe to say that, uh, in the few we have here tonight, that most of us battle anxiety on some level. We battle some type of anxiety. All of us worry from time to time. In fact, look, the, our current existence, everything about it is uncertain. Uh, finances, many of us have, have struggled financially. We've experienced the squeeze of everything costing more. Uh, I found out today the hard way, it's like eight bucks to get a shirt clean now. <laughs> uh, may as well go buy a new one, a cheap one. We battle health problems. Those we love battle health concerns. Then there are the relationship issues that come with living. The stresses of relationships. People hurt us. People let us down. We let others down. Uh, The weight of the expectations of other people often becomes too much to carry. You begin questioning everything. Parenting is difficult. All the influences attacking our children today are overwhelming. Marriage suffers and It's hard. Little things become big things, and people we love the most get the wrath of our frustration. And and that's some of us are kind of maybe in that cycle of of all of the stuff of life that makes us anxious and and frustrated. So what do we do? You know, I I like writing questions down, and I wrote this down. What do we do? The reality is, here's the reality. Life stinks at times. That's the reality. So how do we cope with the anxiety and the stresses that life causes? In my devotions, the Lord led me to begin a series tonight in Psalms 23. I'm thankful for the time that I get to spend with the Lord each day as I read His Word. Let Him speak to me. And I don't think ever in my life in ministry here has there ever been more Uh, sermons that have come out of my personal devotions than at this time and the things that I'm reading that are just uh, really impacting my life and I'm seeing things in a fresh way. And that happened with Psalms 23. This psalm is likely, uh, I'm sure you probably would agree, is the most popular psalm in the world. It is the most popular psalm in the church. I call it maybe the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. But sadly, it's mostly used at funerals because Psalms 23 focuses on what... uh, And that's sad because when you read this, it really focuses on what Jesus does for us all the days of our life. And we often miss that. Not just our death, but all the days of our life. 
And many see, fail to see, if you grew up in the church reading this, many fail to see this psalm in its true setting. I remember seeing the pictures of David as a shepherd boy kind of laying on back in the pasture, maybe a, a rock underneath him and a, she, a, a sheep, uh, not a ship, a sheep, and his staff next to him. And that's kind of the picture we have of David maybe pondering the things of God as he writes this psalm. But he didn't write this psalm as a young man. He likely wrote this psalm later in his life. Uh, many theologians believe that he wrote this psalm during the rebellion of Absalom, his son. In it, we see that David deals with some difficult things that he experienced during his walk with the Lord. While people of all ages throughout my life have loved this psalm and quoted this psalm, its message we see is going to be for mature Christians who have fought battles and carried burdens. How about you tonight? Have you fought battles and carried burdens in your life? And this psalm is going to bless you. You see, David knew what it was like, didn't he, to be under stress. He knew what it was like to be anxious, to battle anxiety. Y'all remember he encountered the lion and the bear while he was tending the sheep. Can I ask you a question? You're out in the flock, you're tending sheep, lion and bear come about, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to haul bug it the other way. How about you? Get a gun. We know that we know what happened in David's life. He overcame that, that battle. We know later on he would, he would encounter Goliath, this, uh, this giant that was defying his God, and he stood up to this giant with the help of the Lord. Now, after he defeated Goliath, what happened? His fame spread. King Saul becomes jealous and sought to kill David. David spent a lot of his time running for safety from Saul. Y'all remember when David was in the cave? King Saul entered, didn't see David. David could have took his life. But he didn't. Later on, David would battle the burden of being king. And all of the stresses of uh, that such leadership that he was now over. He would face the consequences of succumbing to his, tem to his own temptation. He would endure the death of four children. You see, David's life was anything but a bed of roses. Yet he was a man after God's own heart. We read this in Psalm 55 when David said, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Give heed to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and am surely distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me. When David became king of Israel, there was more battles to fight. And we know that David was uh, successful a lot of the time. In 2 Samuel 5.10, he says, David became greater and greater for the Lord God of hosts. Listen, David became greater and greater for the Lord God of hosts well, is with him. Is with him. In preparation for another battle with the Philistines, it says in verse 23 of 2 Samuel 5 that David inquired of the Lord. 
How many understand it's a great thing to know that the presence of God is with you? Hey, and it's a great thing when you're under stress. When other people's lives hang in the balance and you're in charge. How many understand it's a great thing to inquire of the Lord? That's what David did. God had told David, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be ruler over Israel. David was called to be the leader of God's people. And why could David be an effective leader of God's people? As God told him, you're going to shepherd my people Israel. Because he knew who his shepherd was. The Lord was his shepherd. And he knew he needed to seek his Wisdom for leadership and guidance. In Psalms 23, we see the image of the shepherd from the beginning. We see the prominence of this in Scripture all the way back to Genesis. Y'all remember who, who, the, who was the first martyr? Abel was. Abel died. He was a shepherd. The patriarchs of Israel were shepherds. Moses spent 40 years caring for his father-in-law's sheep as a shepherd. And David, Israel's greatest king, writer of this psalm, served his father as a shepherd. The image of God as Israel's shepherd begins in Genesis 48 and it continues throughout the entirety of Scripture. This image is frequently used to apply uh, or applied to Christ in the New Testament. Interestingly, in Psalms 22, David compared the enemy, listen to this, to animals that are clever and strong. In Psalms 22, a chapter prior. Here in Psalms 23, he compares God's people as lowly sheep. He pictures them as lowly sheep. Another question, why did he picture us, God's people, as lowly sheep? So we would learn about the shepherd and see how he compassionately cares for each one of us. You see, sheep are defenseless. They're prone to getting lost. They need constant care. Isn't it true you can't drive sheep like you do cattle? They have to be led. The eastern shepherds know their sheep by name and can call them and they will come. The sheep were kept not for food but for wool and milk and reproduction. And in this psalm, David explains that if we follow the Lord and we trust Him, He's going to meet our every need, no matter how terrifying the circumstances may be. We can fear less because of our relationship with the shepherd. And that tonight is the title for Psalms 23. This first message is our relationship with the shepherd. Let's look at Psalms 23 and look at verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. 
Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The title, our relationship with the shepherd in our text, is going to be verse 1. Let's say that again. Let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And this one sentence... My challenge and my goal tonight is to present to us three magnificent facts about our relationship with the shepherd. I'll stop here and say this. Aren't you thankful tonight to be a child of God? Aren't you thankful to be saved? Hey, look, aren't you thankful to know that heaven is your eternal home? Somebody say amen. That's a wonderful reality, a wonderful truth that you and I, as children of God, people of faith, get to live in every single day. I'm thankful to be saved. I'm thankful to know that I follow the shepherd. And in this one verse, David gives us things that that just jump off the page when you understand them. I want you to see the first one. Number one, the shepherd's all-powerful. The shepherd is all-powerful. Look at verse... One, again, notice the first two words. What are they? The Lord. The Lord. In my studying of this psalm, reading reading different commentators, there's not a whole lot of focus. There's not a whole lot of focus on how David addresses the shepherd. He says, uh, the Lord. I want us to notice the shepherd's name. He says, the Lord. This is the name Yahweh. It was the first name uh, revealed to Moses in Exodus 3.14 when God said, I am that I am. Ordinary Israelites, now listen to this, considered this name to be too uh, holy to be spoken by human lips. In fact, it was so revered that it was only pronounced once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then only by the high priest in the most holy place of the temple. If the name needed to be written, the scribes would take a bath, would cleanse themselves before writing this name, and then destroy the pen afterwards. While Yahweh is difficult to define, this name refers to the fact that God is who He is. He's the one who causes everything else. He is unchanging. He is the one who inhabits eternity. You see, David's making the point that, look, the Lord, the I am, the one who is self-existent and eternal, that's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The great I am. It's David's shepherd, but by faith. If you're saved tonight, the great I am is your shepherd. This is a very similar thought uh, to what Psalms 8 says, where we read, O Lord, Yahweh, our Lord. O Lord, our Lord. How many understand how great He is and how small we are? But yet He's ours. He's our shepherd. He's powerful. He's majestic. He's unmatched. He's unrivaled. He's a consuming fire, yet he's he's our shepherd. He's my shepherd. Notice Psalms 24, 
one chapter over and look at verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. The world and those who dwell in it, for He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon uh, the rivers. Now jump down to verse 8. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? I'll tell you, He's our shepherd. He's all-powerful. That's His name. But you know, I love the image of Yahweh as shepherd that Isaiah chapter 40 gives us in verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. What a picture of our shepherd who carries us close to his heart. We see the shepherd's name, but I want you to notice also the sheep's negligence. You see, one of the great reasons, now think about this with me, one of the great reasons you and I struggle in life is that we often forget the name of the shepherd that we follow. We often remind us to the fact that we serve Yahweh, the self-existent eternal God who is the only God. How many believe tonight that He's unmatched? There's no, nothing above Him. He is God, and that's our shepherd. And we often somehow, we get timid and we get fearful because we forget the shepherd's name. And we become neglectful. This is often why we're overcome with worry and fear. It's often why we fall into temptation and do things we shouldn't do. You see, again, we're referred to as sheep, and sheep are prone to forget. Can I tell you something? A sheep is not, 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 not someone you want to ask for directions. <laughs> when they get lost, they can't find their way back. They're prone to wonder. They're not very bright. In the Psalms, we see images of God as a shield and as a rock, as king, as shepherd, as judge, as refuge, fortress, avenger, creator, deliverer, healer, protector, provider, and redeemer. We see all these pictures all throughout the Psalms, and this is who we have a relationship with. This is who you and I, by faith, are in a relationship with, who we get to commune with and talk with every day of our lives. I mean, this is better than meeting uh, the most popular celebrity or athlete in the world. Somebody say amen. You know a celebrity? Well, I know God. <laughs> we get to talk with Him every day. Boy, this is so convicting to me because often we get so anxious and worried and fearful. This is our shepherd. This is who we have a relationship with. Look, the Lord is... Your shepherd, my shepherd, is the only one who can be all that you need him to be. He's it. The Lord is the only one who can fulfill the longing of your heart. He's it. The Lord is my shepherd. We see that the shepherd is all powerful, but I want you to notice something else. The shepherd is personal. Three magnificent things about our shepherd that we have a relationship with. He's all-powerful. 
How many believe tonight that the shepherd has all power to do anything that you ask him to do according to his will? But this second truth is so powerful, the shepherd is personal. Because David said, the Lord, Yahweh, the great I am, the self-existent one, who's above all, unmatched, unrivaled, all-powerful. The Lord is my shepherd. My shepherd. You see, there's no doubt that David knew the shepherd in a personal way. He had a close relationship with God. Now, I'll stop right here and say this. This should be very encouraging to you and me. If you were paying attention in the introduction and saw everything in David's life that he went through, all the struggles and the fears and the anxieties, the sin that he committed, that should encourage your heart tonight. That he had a close relationship with God after all of that stuff and all the poor decisions that he made. God loved him and forgave him. See, David knew God personally. They were more than just associated with one another. I believe there's a lot that are coming to church that know God intellectually. They may be associated with God. They may have some knowledge of God, but they do not know God personally. And the struggle of their life gives evidence to that, that they don't know God personally. David knew the Lord in a personal way. I want us to see David's exclamation. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, this ex exclamation point, so to speak, that David puts here, it tells us that we do not follow a distant, negligent uh, deity. We do not follow a shepherd who's just negligent of the sheep. We don't follow a shepherd who's unaware of the enemy and the surroundings and the storms and all of the things we face in life. We are not serving a shepherd that just doesn't care. Somebody say, man, I'm thankful we serve a God who cares. I'm thankful we serve a God who's personal and he's caring. The Hebrew word that David uses here for shepherd, it means to tend. Now listen to this. This Hebrew word he uses means to tend. It means to associate with as a friend. I just got chills saying that. That the shepherd, the great I am, Yahweh, the self-existent, eternal, all-powerful God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who sent His only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for all of my sin and yours, associates with me, a sinner saved by His grace, as a friend. That's incredible. If that's the only thing you get out of the message tonight, that should be enough for you to keep going. <laughs> it means to associate with you as a friend. God sits down and talks to you. He listens. Spends time with you. This word goes on to mean companion or to keep company with. All of this speaks to the personal relationship that David has with the shepherd. I'm thankful that by faith you and I have a personal relationship. We just don't know about God. We know Him personally. I want you to look at Psalm 63 quickly. Go to Psalm 63 real quick.
And I want to challenge you. As you see Psalms like, like we're about to read, we're going to read eight verses. Oh, make these part of your prayer life. Make these your prayer to your shepherd. Look what David says in Psalm 63. David wrote this when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Difficult season in his life. And notice what he says. He says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands to your name. My soul is satisfied with his marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Church, isn't that good? What a blessing. Why could David articulate his feelings and talk to his heavenly father, his shepherd, in such a loving, kind, intimate way because he knew him personally? We see David's exclamation, but I also want you to know the believer's existence. The believer's existence. See, here's the magnificent truth I've already alluded to, that believers have a personal relationship with the shepherd. The Lord still desires that closeness with you and I. In fact, we read in John chapter 10 and verse 11 that Jesus is the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, 20, the great shepherd of the sheep. 1 Peter 2, 25, Jesus is the shepherd and bishop of our souls. In 1 Peter 5, 4, it says that He is the chief shepherd. See, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, desires that closeness with us. David's statement in our text implies that he had made the Lord his shepherd by submission. And so it should be with all of his sheep. Now, the challenge in our lives often is our unwillingness to submit to the leadership of the shepherd. We fail to obey the shepherd. Go with me to John chapter 10. It's all right if we have Bible study tonight, isn't it? John chapter 10. And look at verse 7. John chapter 10, beginning at verse 7, it says this. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know 
me. Now look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now I got a question. Who are the sheep that Jesus is talking about? Believers. You look at verse 26, he says, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. So we see sheep are those who are believers in Christ. Those who believe and follow Christ are sheep. And Jesus says in verse 27 that the sheep hear his voice. Now, it's amazing. You know, parents will know exactly what I'm saying here. How an infant, when a baby is born, knows the voice of its mom and its daddy. Grandparent, I remember one of our, all of our kids being held at some point as an infant by a grandparent or someone else. And primarily, the baby knows the, the voice of the mama. But it knows the voice of its daddy as well. And the parents can walk in while someone else is holding the baby and begin talking and the baby just starts turning its head looking for mama and daddy. Why? Because they know the voice of their dad and mom. How do they know the voice? Because when they were formed in the womb and as they grew in the womb, the dad and mom's voice are the voices that the baby primarily hears. So when they're born, they're very well acquainted and familiar with their voices. And so I wrote down a question as I thought about that. I said, do you, I asked my, do I know, do you know the voice of the shepherd? Are you listening to his voice? Many struggle today mightily with a host of things because they're not familiar with the voice of God. The Bible that you hold in your hands tonight is God breathed. It's inspired of God. It's inerrant and it's infallible. It has the power to change life. And how many understand tonight? And I, look, I, I know I say a lot about it. And I'll continue to say a lot about it. But if we are unfamiliar with the Bible, you mark it down, you'll be unfamiliar with His voice. We see that the shepherd is all-powerful. The shepherd is personal. But I want you to notice number three. And lastly, the shepherd is preeminent. Look at verse 1 one last time. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord Yahweh, the great I am, the self-existent, eternal, all-powerful God is my shepherd. The one who tends to me, who associates with me as a friend. And then he says, I shall not want. I shall not want. See, the shepherd is complete, excellent, matchless, above all else, and cannot be improved upon. See, the shepherd, our Lord, does not have to go through any classes to improve upon himself. He's perfect. He's preeminent. A little girl was asked to quote the 23rd Psalm. She stood up and said, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. It's amazing how we learn so much from kids. 
Because in reality, the way this little girl quoted Psalms 23.1 is the meaning behind what David is saying. You see, I want you to notice in our relationship with the shepherd, we find contentment. We find contentment. You see, often when we see this phrase, the Lord is my shepherd, and then this last phrase, I shall not want, we often hear this phrase talked about uh, uh, in, the fa- in, in light of God's provision. Certainly, He provides, and we're certainly going to deal with that in this series. But we often miss the heart of this statement. The root of what David is saying, which deals more with his preeminence than his provision. How Christ is above all else. David is saying, in my shepherd, I have everything I need. Everything I want. Like the little girl, the Lord is my shepherd and that's all I want. He was content in his shepherd. You know, I used to say, say this. I, I said, contentment is not having everything you want, but wanting everything you have. As I grow and as I mature, I, I've changed this. Contentment is much more than just having needs met and having everything you want. Or wanting everything you have. Contentment is wanting Jesus above anything else in this life. That's what contentment is. Contentment is wanting Jesus more than anything else in this life. In Jesus, in your shepherd, if he is who you are following, then everything else in your life is secondary because he's preeminent. The Lord is your shepherd and that's all you want. That's what David is saying. See, in our relationship with the shepherd, we find contentment, but we also see in our rebellion against the shepherd, we find contention. Why do so many Christians live a discontented and stressed to the max existence? Because you are in want. You are in want. The Lord may be your shepherd, but He's not all you want. He's your shepherd but he's not all you want. You say no to the shepherd to pursue other things. I wonder how much in our lives would change if we said no to the other things and yes to the shepherd more often. What is it that you need to say no to in order to pursue the shepherd? Are you following the shepherd? Are you listening to His voice? Are you in a close relationship or have you been rebelling? Can I ask you, does contention or contentment describe your existence in your life of faith? You see, we can fear less because of our relationship with the shepherd. Our shepherd is all-powerful, personal, and He's preeminent. Amen? Let's stand together tonight and let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you for this wonderful psalm, God, that we we have read hundreds of times, if not thousands, throughout our lives for those that have been in the church. And God, forgive us for often missing the rich truth that's in these familiar passages. Um, Lord, I I thank you tonight for doing a fresh work in my life through this psalm. And God, I just pray that in some way, somehow, you can use me to convey the truth, the magnificent truth of this wonderful chapter. So God, seal it to our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to remember that you are God. 
that you are Yahweh, the, the, the great I am, the self-existent, eternal, all-powerful God. By you, everything uh, was made. And through you, all things consist. And God, you are in control. And God, you are who we serve. So God, forgive us when we think that somehow uh, it depends on us. God, help us to be fully dependent, fully trusting upon you. God, I'm thankful tonight that you're personal, that, Lord, you have a relationship with us. You associate with us as friends. You sit down, listen. You fellowship with us. God, what a thought. What an amazing truth. Lord, I can't wait to do that in eternity with you forever. I can't wait to be with you in your presence and enjoy that relationship in a new way forever. God, thank you for being personal. And God, tonight we see that you're preeminent. You're above all else. And God, help that as that little girl. Lord, help that be our heart. That you are our shepherd and you're all that we want. Father, I thank you tonight for this truth. Thank you for your word. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Randy Orgeron to close us in prayer tonight.